Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time, a Wave Sports and Entertainment original presented by Prize Picks. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Subscribe, like, rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. We got a lot going on here. It was division uh, I don't even think it's called Division Championship Weekend. Division Round, how about that? They was playing a bunch of playoff football. That feel good? Fine, thanks. There we go. Football abounded. Boom. There we go. We're going to talk about the NFC in just a second. We're going to get over there to that other conference. But first, we're going to start with the varsity because in a lot of ways, the NFC feel like the JV. And a lot of the reason why the NFC feels like the JV is something that dawned on me in watching uh, the games over the weekend, just looking at the bracket of it, right? We had the Ravens and the Texans. So we had Lamar Jackson and we had C.J. Stroud. Um, we had the Chiefs and the Bills. We had Patrick Mahomes and we had Josh Allen. Now, I want you to take out the guys who were hurt this year, right? So get Joe Burrow out of here. If you want to do that, get Aaron Rodgers out of here. We're going to just remove them. Are those not the four best quarterbacks in the NFL? I understand that it's a little hasty to say something like that about C.J. Stroud. But based on what you saw players do, this season that just passed, that felt like the four best quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, I want you to think about how crazy that is if I'm going to tell you that those are the four best quarterbacks in the NFL. Because even coming off an injury, I'm going to put Joe Burrow in there um, at that five spot, right? I am probably inclined to put either Justin Herbert at the six or Trevor Lawrence at the six. I bring that up to say, either Justin Herbert or Trevor Lawrence is probably the seventh best quarterback in the AFC, and Tua Tagovailoa is probably the eighth. And if if he can get it back in line, I guess Deshaun Watson old nasty ass will be the ninth. You know, like that that that's what the AFC that's what the AFC hitting all right now. The the Browns gave up heaven and earth. To get the nasty man, and if his nasty ass is what he was when he was in Houston last, we still looking at him as like fourth, fifth, maybe best quarterback in his own conference. Like the AFC is so bananas in that regard. And it becomes important when we talk about what happened in this last round and kind of where we are going forward. Again, it has got to be terrifying if you are, let's look at the rest of the teams in the AFC. If you're the Patriots, Man, y'all better go out there. Well, I guess Sean, the Patriots got what? The number two pick in the draft? Yeah, it seems like, you know, Caleb Williams, Drake May, maybe Marvin Harrison are, are their potential draft targets. I'm telling you this right now. If they got the number two pick in the draft, they taking Drake May. Like, we go hard stop. Unless something happens and somebody decides that Drake May is, in fact, the number one overall pick. But I'm going to tell you right now. If it come down to Drake May or Jane Daniels, they are going to take Drake May. And I'm going to tell you right now, if I was running the Patriots and the way things are set up right now, I would take Drake May. I don't know if Drake May is better than Jane Daniels. Daniels, the way people talk about it, he probably is better than Jane Daniels. I'm going to just tell you this right now. Our man Gerard Mayo came out there telling the truth. And the last thing, look, you talk about having a truth teller and a, and, and a Jayden. At the court, oh no, 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 not all at once, baby. You can't, you, you can't, you, you can't, you, you, you can't come in here shaking the table and kicking down the door. Oh, no, 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 you can only pick one, baby. You can only pick one, right? And they decided to shake the table. They got a table. Okay, cool. You're going to go ahead and do that. Then people can't handle much more. From what I could tell, some people had a hard time with the truth. So, yeah, no, no. Drake may go on to play for them. You can about write that down. 
All right. You you can you can take that one there and you better hope like what's reasonable for you to expect or reasonable for you to hope for when you start talking about what it's going to take to really compete with the teams at the top of the AFC. Like that's what this weekend had to tell you. You had four excellent quarterbacks. I'm going to slow up on saying great because great can mean a lot of things that are kind of historical and that's not really what I'm going for here. But you had four historical quarterbacks. All of them played somewhere between reasonably well and very well. Right? That's what this league looks like was what was going on in the AFC. Now, start with uh, what was going on in Baltimore, and it was interesting because I remembered that our guy Dominique Foxworth was at the game, and I was just thinking, damn, he seemed cold, and I had a question to ask him, but I thought it would be a bit of a jerk move for me to ask him to take his phone out of his pocket, but I figured that's a personal choice. He ain't got no problem ignoring my texts other times. You know what I'm saying? So, hey, if it's that crucial, he, you know, you just go out there and keep on doing what you're doing. So I hit him up, and at first he was saying he thought Lamar looked a little nervous, like he wasn't making them throws. And then he came back the next day, and he watched that All-22, and he was like, nah, 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 he wasn't, he wasn't, them dudes just wasn't open. He was excellent in that game. He was dropping back, composed. At every turn, he just looked like I could do whatever I want at any given point in time. And as much as they dialed up the weaponry that he's got there, Sean, you tell me if I'm tripping here, but like, let's not be dishonest here. That dude, um, Isaiah, is it lively or likely? I can't remember which adverb it is. Isaiah likely, their they're backup tight likely. end. Yep. Got it. I mean, he's he a starting tight end right now, right? Sure Mark is. Andrews is still out of there. And look, this is the thing that's got to terrify you if Andrews somehow manages to come back. To me, I don't think there could be anything more difficult for a defense to game plan against than a team that has two big excellent receiving tight ends and they seem to have some form of that like that was what the Patriots made that transition to when they had uh Gronk and um you know I'm talking about I, I should I say the name yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. you know I'm talking no yeah 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 you good you good you good you good shout out to whoever that was in the background I couldn't figure out what the joke was he was like oh Bobadi, I'll tell you his name I know I know I'm very aware you know what I'm saying it's just a little it's awkward it's awkward but anyway when you got to set up like that, it gets a little terrifying. But look, they got Zay Flowers, and Zay Flowers was an upgrade. They got Odell, but Odell like went from being like having ironically old man's name to where you know he's about the age of an Odell at this point, right? He he might he probably smell like an Odell at this point. You know what I'm saying? Like mm, smell like something burning, not like a fire, but you know burning like a bomb, like a liniment. In fact, in fact, that's probably like an Odell call it liniment. Now you know that's kind of how he would see things. But anyway, they got dudes that are good. I would say that they got some dudes that are like approaching very good. But the reason they here is employee number eight, right? That is the reason why they are there. And he looked like the sort of dude where you could say, hey, jump on my back. And that's the thing about all four of these dudes that I'm talking about in this division round of the AFC. It's a bunch of dudes where it's like, yo, jump on my back everybody's there primarily because they jumped on the back of their guy. That's what's going on with the Texans. Because I tried to make that point the other day. Sean, I'll tell you about this. I tried to make the point. I was like, yo, name seven Houston Texans, right? And people kept coming back. Well, I know seven of them because I play say, play fantasy football. And I'm like, wow, you should be proud of yourself for that, okay? Right? How many, how many fucking fantasy football teams do you have where you know seven Houston Texans? How many leagues are you in? You know what I'm saying? Like, you wonder why that woman can't stand you. But anyway, I didn't know who none of them dudes was. You know, like as you was watching that game, you know who any of them dudes was? 
No, especially with Tank Dell hurt and out for the year, I, you know, and, and, you know, people talk about Nico Collins all the time, but outside of that, it was kind of like, uh, you know, CJ Stroud's throwing to people. Yeah, let me let me look up this Nico Collins, because I saw him in the last game, and I swore I ain't never heard of that dude, not one day in my life, when I had seen him. By the way, oh, Dominique, oh, I didn't know that Nico was a short for Dominique, or I guess it can be. Um, I ain't know that. Let me see, see if we got anything about this guy, because he went to Michigan. I had no idea. Oh, he went to Michigan when they wasn't that good or something like that. Oh, okay. That sounded about right. You know what I'm saying? I ain't know. Look, man, I'm just saying, I ain't know who nothing. I ain't know who. I knew who Tunsil was. I knew who Stroud was. And Stroud appears to be that dude. We'll see what happens next year, but I don't feel like he that dude in a regressive sort of way. But they're jumping on their backs. By the way, the Ravens, and we'll talk more about this as the week goes on. The Ravens put up what I would consider to be an all-time great regular season and we just don't talk about it in those terms and they had those three games that they lost this year that they 100% should not have lost right that game against the Browns that one against the Steelers that I still can't figure out how they lost that one against the Colts they were dangerously close to being like an undefeated type of outfit this year and I know somebody's gonna say well they lost four games yeah but the last was the one where they didn't play nobody right like you pull your starters type of guy this is an excellent team that they've got here. This is probably the best team in the history of that franchise. If you want to call it the 96 on history, fine. If you want to take it back to the like Otto Graham history, if you wanted to, I think you might have an argument there. Like, this is it. And Lamar, ain't no story, ain't no excuse, whatever it is. They got to get this done. Sean, you remember when we said coming into this game where me and Nick were talking about this with Lamar and it was just kind of like, hey man, ain't no excuses. Got to get it done. We had two straight episodes between you, Nick, and Dominique where the constant conversation was there's a lot of pressure on Lamar Jackson and the Ravens to make it to the Super Bowl. It's Super Bowl or bust for that team. And, you know, what a performance for them. And, I, I you know, I think they, yeah. they play a Chiefs team that look like they barely snuck by against the Bills. But this is the thing for, about Lamar is that this is year eight, nine, zero, one, two, three. This is year six, all right? I think it is preposterous to expect for a quarterback team, whatever it is, just to be like, you should have won a Super Bowl by year six. I just feel like I've watched enough guys, I've watched enough teams. That's just too much to ask outside of outlier type of situations. I also agree with the idea that you can't just assume that one day it's going to happen, right? Dan Marino thought one day it was going to happen and it never came back around. Or you get guys that get in there all those times. You just can't assume that it's going to be there. But with Lamar, it had been enough to go down with him, like in terms of individual performance, that you could not necessarily assume that he could slash would get it done. There are some players that when they get to the postseason, things change and they're just not as good. The top example of this, no matter how it worked out on the back end, is Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning as a postseason quarterback just wasn't as good. There's a number of reasons. Guys that played against them will tell you one of them is that they never changed up what they did on offense, like going into the postseason. Everybody else throws in new wrinkles. They were like, yo, if we just execute as we're supposed to, we're going to be fine, right? Those three, four defenses used to get Peyton Manning in hell because they coming up with something new and he giving them that same old thing, right? But you go look at the years when Peyton Manning won, his postseason performances were not great. His defenses rose to the occasion. You know, it happened there, but he was a guy that wasn't as good a player when the postseason came around. It was fair to ask the question as to whether or not Lamar Jackson is one of those dudes. And um, at least after that one round, it doesn't look like it. It does not, right? But I'm just telling you this right now. His postseason resume now basically looks the same as Josh Allen. If you are using team success 
as the metric. And most of you guys do use team success as the metric. If you're using team success as the metric, right now with Lamar Jackson going to an AFC championship game, he's riding out the same way that Josh Allen did. Josh Allen got there in that 2020 COVID season, but he got there nonetheless. Like that's, that's where we are now with him. Now, I don't think that any of us would reasonably consider Josh Allen to be a postseason underachiever. I don't think he's been a postseason underachiever. I think he's overall been pretty good. He did have that one crazy game where he was closing his eyes saying YOLO and throwing the ball to square bodies. That was a little crazy, right? That was bananas. But overall, hey man, the Bills get to where they are because they have that guy, okay? And this game against the Chiefs, this one was interesting. Because he is that guy, and he played like that guy. But they do not coach him like he is that guy. They did a lot of work in that game, throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage. It felt in a lot of ways like Joe Brady was calling the game, like you don't want this dude to mess it up. You might give him some chances to do some big things, but you don't want him to mess it up. Now. People will talk about those three big plays that were pretty close to being big plays that weren't, right? The only one that I look at and was like, damn, you got to have that one, uh, was the one uh, where Stephon Diggs just dropped the ball. Like, that one just seemed to go straight through his hands, right? And he even said it right after the play. He he was like, I was this close. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he blew that. He blew that. But there was the one that got broken up, and then it was the other one where Buddy had to lay out, and then he couldn't catch it because his arms hit the ground, and I don't think that that's unreasonable. Like, I think... Allen made a good throw, but they needed a lot of things to go together right in order to make that happen. The DB made a very good play on the second one. The Diggs one is the one when you're like, oh, dang, you should have caught that. But the only reason I bring that up is they didn't have a completion over 20 yards the whole game with Josh Allen as their quarterback. Josh Allen finished that game averaging under five yards per attempt. Now, that is not me saying that Josh Allen did not play well. I don't want to make that argument. I did think that Josh Allen played well. But Josh Allen didn't play perfect. And Josh Allen did not play so well that he's... That performance was not Patrick Mahomes in that Super Bowl against the Bucs. Where you watch that game and the numbers were what they were and the end results were what they were. But that was like, oh my God, this is the best football player I've ever seen. I'm just watching him seemingly play this game with one hand tied behind his back. That was not the performance that Josh Allen put up in this game. He did not put up an all-time great performance. Patrick Mahomes did not put up an all-time great performance. What we had was an all-time great game. And it was an all-time great game in such a way where you could go back and you could find all kinds of individual things and moments that could have gone another way that would have changed this thing. But I don't think there was anybody to blame for anybody losing that game. I don't think you blame the kicker for missing that 44-yard kick. Why? And people are like, well, the kicker's job is to make kicks. The offense's job is to make it that you don't need no goddamn kicker, okay? That's what their job is. And they did it, and they, look, kicker had to go out there on the field, kick the ball, 15-mile-an-hour win. It would have been great if he made it, but it shouldn't have had to come down to that. Now, should it have? No, it should not have. I don't blame them dudes for missing those plays because, quite honestly, those catches I talked about that people didn't make, if Miko Hartman doesn't try to be a hero, stretching that ball across the goal line and fumble the ball, that stuff right there is probably a moot point now, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, this isn't a game to me that we needed to come out of it and look for somebody to heap all the praise on or to find somebody to heap all the blame on. 
That one was an excellent, exciting football game between teams that have played now two of the best playoff football games that I believe that I have ever seen, right? Sometimes we got to lean in on the fact that this is just something to enjoy. To me, it was not reflective of Josh Allen's shortcomings, the fact that they did not win that game. I also don't necessarily know how much credit to give to the greatness of him from watching it. I do know this. While watching it, I knew I was watching a boss. Like, he is a boss. I ain't trying to say he's not. I knew I was watching a boss in that game. And it was so clear that the way Buffalo was doing this was just like, hey, man, we got you. That's the best thing we got going. So we're going to need you to be better than the thing they got going on the other side. And he did the best that he could. And a lot of it involved him running the ball. And a lot of it was him looking at just making throws that it just doesn't seem like a human being should be able to make. But here's the problem. That dude on the other side, that's Jordan. Okay? That was Jordan. And Jordan was out there playing with a bunch of dudes that got four feet. That's right. They got four feet. They got feet where feet supposed to be. And they got feet where hands is supposed to be. They out here with four feet. Like, if, if, it was, if it was like some kind of crawling contest, oh, they would win. They'd be unstoppable. You remember how they used to call Tyreek Hill the cheetah? Nah, man, Tyreek Hill got hands. He ain't out here on faux paws. They had all them dudes. If they'd be out there on faux paws, man, you never catch them dude. Faux paws like a faux pas. In fact, that's it. They, they, they out there on faux paws, and they committing faux paws when people throw them the ball. That's what's happening. But you know what? They seem to play better than I'd seen them play in a long time. Uh, I saw Marquez, Marquez, you know, MVS, the, the, the letters. That dude made that, that one play where Mahomes basically just threw the ball right on his helmet over there on the sideline and was just like, there's no way for you to mess this up. Like, Mahomes got to be out there. Sean, what buddy name in the sandlot? The one that be telling them just go stand out there with your hand up and the ball going to come to you. Uh, uh, Smalls, uh, Benny the Jet is telling Smalls to just leave his hands yeah, up there yeah, and the ball come yeah, to him. Yep, yeah, yep. Benny the Jet. That's what, that's what we need to call Mahomes. Pat the Jet or something. Because that's what he got to do to make these dudes catch it. He got to tell them exactly what the hell. They, that, that's what it seems like he has to do to catch it. And I just don't see no way possible that you come out of that game and not talk about Jordan. Dude, in Mahomes' time there in Kansas City, that team is 13-3 and three in the playoffs, okay? One of those games was a Super Bowl. The other two games went to overtime, all right? You can make an argument about him having a really good defense this year. That's fine. But what they got also this year, bad tackles, okay? They got bad tackles. That boy Pacheco was running hard. That was good to see. We know those receivers aren't good. Travis Kelsey, we know that dude got miles on him, man. Like, he's not a great player anymore. What they are betting on is they got Jordan. And that game was a matchup of two teams saying, hey, we just going to ride our quarterback as far as our quarterback can take us. And one of those quarterbacks is a little bit better built to last than the other one. And that's no insult to the other one. But y'all got to stop acting like the other one's the one. He's not. He's on a list of quarterbacks, okay? And I'm going to tell you how it goes, okay? There's two lists here. There's this list that's got Patrick Mahomes on it. And it's this list that got everybody else. All the rest of y'all are on that list. You can't concoct no argument as to why it is that you belong in that same place. Patrick Mahomes has no peer. And what these motherfuckers is out here doing, and I'm sorry, I got to, you know, but what these motherfuckers is out here doing, and we done seen this before. Sean, I think you might be old enough to remember this. You remember David Duvall? Yep. 
You remember David Duvall? You remember the uh, the Sergio Garcia era? You remember that quick little run? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was yeah. very short. Yeah, they keep trying to find somebody to be up there with Tiger. There ain't nobody up there with Tiger, right? And I actually think that Josh Allen, the Josh Allen-Phil Mickelson comparison is a good one because, you know, they both be living that YOLO life. They both get out here doing any old damn thing trying to make it happen, right? But that's what this is. And Phil Mickelson is a Hall of Famer, just to be clear. Not saying he's a bad player. Not saying he didn't win a lot of stuff. But he ain't Jordan. He's not. He ain't Pippen, right? He's a lot better than a Pippen. But he ain't Jordan. They got one of those. And at some point, we're really going to fully lean in on the idea that that guy right there is Jordan. And as much as we, like, you'll watch it when people talk about Mahomes or whatever it is. They'll throw it out there. Hey, that's the best quarterback I've ever seen, comma, but. And then go talk about something else. Like, I was watching uh, Get Up before I got in here to record this stuff. No, no, man, it was driving me crazy because the whole television show was about Josh Allen. It was about Josh Allen. And you look, I've talked about some of this before. I do think that the NFL has got a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a crisis, but something's changing here that they ain't never had before, which is the best, black, the best quarterbacks are black. Like part of the success of this league has been built around the fact that they had all these great athletes and they still had white faces to sell everything. But when you start talking about the Brady, Manning, Breeze, Roethlisberger, like class of players now, you have to throw Lamar Jackson in there. You And Patrick Mahomes is at the top of that list. Like Aaron Rodgers will get thrown in there. When I'm talking about those four guys in the AFC, it's three black dudes and Josh Allen. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I do think some people are going to give Josh Allen too many points because me and Dominique also talk all the time about the times in our lives that we gave, white du- we gave black dudes too many points. I've been trying to tell y'all about how my daddy used to be trying to convince me about a Tony Banks. Hey, Tony Banks can play. You know what I mean? It just kind of go that way at points. But we, we all got to know this, man. Josh Allen is not Jordan. And there's nothing bad I have to say about him Coming off of that game. If anybody said anything bad about him, it was Joe Brady who had him throwing them ball, all them balls behind the line of scrimmage, right? That's the guy that seemed to think a little bit less of that dude. But it's about Jordan. And now we're going to come up into this next round with Jordan against Lamar Jackson. And Nick makes this point, and he's right about this. If you want to make the Brady Manning comparison, it's probably better served with Lamar Jackson being there. And the reason that I would say that about Lamar Jackson is he's about to be the one with two MVPs but doesn't have the playoff success to match it. You know, like I think at this same point in his career, Lamar Jackson has either the same number of playoff wins or one more than Peyton Manning did. Like, this is it. He's out here with the team that looks like the juggernaut playing against the team that's on that been there, done that, right? The team that's been to this level before. This is the one to see. This is the game that when they put that bad boy in the schedule, I'm always trying to see it. And they used to always put that thing as a one o'clock kick. Never made no sense to me, but it ain't going to be no one o'clock kick this time now, is it? Uh Uh-uh. And don't y'all worry. This time, I'm going to Nick's house, damn it. It's the early game. Today, it was late and it was cold. I wasn't doing that. Hey, man, I want to send a shout out uh, to Latrice. Latrice was a flight attendant on my flight uh, from L.A. to New York. And she looked at me and she said to me at some point, I watch you. Are the Lions going to win the Super Bowl? And I just told her, I hope so. I couldn't tell her they would because, I mean, I'll be lying to people. But, like, I was on the I hope so kick. But I'm like, there we go. I was, I, was, I was seeing the good vibes 
off of the Lions fans, man. Sean, you know it's how emotional it's been every time the Lions don't want one of these. Every Dan Campbell post-game locker room presser, I tear up and I, I want to run through a brick wall. Dog, they so happy. I ain't know it was that many white people still in Detroit. I thought they all left. I thought they all left. You know what? We've been, we been wrong. We've been wrong to these white folks. It is entirely possible these white folks are like, look, I can't take this Lions heartbreak. I'm not leaving till I'm not coming back till they good again. And then they just rolled out and then the Lions got back good and they back. Man, it's about to be a revival up in there. That, oh, that's all it was. They were just waiting on the Lions to get back, man. They look like they wanted to cry and hug each other. And I'm going to be honest. I personally didn't know it was so many Lions fans. I did not. It's, this is not, to me, one of them situations where you feel like people be lying about something and then they pop up just to be bandwagon fans. It honestly just never came up for a number of reasons. One, like, you don't be meeting that many people from Detroit in your travels. Well, as a black person, I do, but white folks, I don't know, right? Like, I don't know where y'all be going to see each other, whatever, but you only meet with so many uh, people from Detroit in their travels. Vinny, my closest friend from Detroit, and he bailed out after the Barry Sanders thing. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm 45 years old. And the Lions been sorry since before my parents met. Well before my parents met. Like, I, wow. I, like, I don't even know where to begin, right? They just been all time sort of sorry. And I had never really given thought to the fact that the Lions had a bunch of hard suffering fans. Like the Cubs, we always think about them in the context of their hard suffering fans. The Browns, we think about them in the context of their hard-suffering fans when, in fact, Browns fans, I don't know if it's fair to call them hard-suffering because they be fighting. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I feel like they be venting that. They, they, they vent their frustration. I don't know what Cubs fans did to get over the pain. We know what Browns fans did, man. You remember that clip that one time they lost one of them games and this dude straight up ripped off his whole, his whole sweater and everything, like Hulkamania style. He was a real American in that motherfucker, man. Just, oh! And, it, 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 and I mean, there wasn't no cut in it just to prepare him. I just couldn't imagine, like, all that frustration. Somebody go to Cleveland right now and open that, open the plant back up. Get that dude something to do. Because if he ain't have that shirt, I don't know what it was going to be. But anyway, there's so like even Buffalo. We think about Buffalo in the context of a hard-suffering fans. We never think about Detroit in the context of a hard-suffering fans. I don't really understand what that is, right? But that's the case. And they kept showing all these games. And the people be in the crowd. And they look so emotional. And they look so happy. And they look like they've been waiting on this for so long. And it's really been wonderful and beautiful to see. And so... Those of us who've been supporting the Lions since the very beginning, like me. No, 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 Sean. I have been supporting the Lions from the very beginning. Because this is this, this, this what I'm trying to say. This is what I'm trying to say. Watch how I freak it. Watch how I freak it. Watch how I freak it, okay? Okay. I've been with the Lions since the very beginning. Because I am sure Lions fans, they just acting like that other stuff never happened. You know what I'm saying? Why would they, why would they hold on to those memories of the bad old days? Why would they do that? No, no, no. Day one was the first day that it looked like Dan Campbell might have it under control. That's, that's what day one is. And those of y'all who go back with us on the right time know that last year I jumped on board with the Lions because I decided I wanted to have a team. There was a brief moment I was thinking, on, thinking about getting down with the Jets because I felt like they had a bit of a feel-good story. And I understood if y'all was worried about me because I was talking about smoking Jets. You know what I'm saying? But no, nah, I ain't do that. But I got on this uh, Detroit Rock City. You know what I'm saying? Like I got on that rock and it's been good for me, man. I've enjoyed it. I feel like they have a lot of likable characters, likable players. And so, yeah, we're not even worried about 
back. We ain't even worried about back in the day. Like I'm about to say something right now and it ain't even going to mean nothing to Lions fans because you ain't worried about what happened before. I'm going to get up here and I'm going to be like, <clears throat> Jay Leno can kiss my ass. And that ain't going to mean nothing to Lions fans. They don't, even, they don't even know what I'm talking about when I say that. You know, they don't, they ain't, they ain't never heard of it. So yeah, I'm a day one. It's like a BCAD, you know, before Christ, after day, you know, Dan Campbell revelation, starting, starting afresh. I'm with you, but I'm with you. There we go. There we go. There we go. So me and all the day ones was watching the Lions and we was enjoying it. And by the way, they look good. (laughs) There's that other part. Like they still look like they was going to find a way to blow it. They look good. And am I going to do it? Am I going to do it? Am I going to do it? I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. You ready? The Lions are going to the Super Bowl. That's right. We'll clip it we off. We got to change the name of the Super Bowl. It ain't going to be the Super Bowl. It's going to be the Gator Bowl. That's what we need to be talking about. It's going to be the Gator Bowl. Is that name already taken? I hope not. Because it's the Gator Bowl. The Gator Bowl in Las Vegas. Pink Stink Gators. My Detroit players. That's right. I feel like there's skepticism in the, in the booth, fellas. You know, I'm just letting I'm letting it sink in. I'm letting it sink in. I, you know, I, you know the, the the audience is going crazy. A lot of woos, a lot of let's goes. Letting it all set That's simmer, right. you know? That's right. I'm explain to you right now why it is that I feel that way. Okay. Now, Sean, you tell me if I'm wrong here, okay? Uh, Christian McCaffrey, he, 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 he dinged up, right? It's a little, right. he's a little banged up, but you know, I think he he played well. He, long yeah, season, yeah, long season. Running backs, a lot of mileage. Okay, okay, okay. He's a little dinged up, right? Uh, Debo is past the level of banged up. Debo is hurt. Am I right? Yeah, he he looked he looked rough. He didn't come back in at the at the end towards the middle of that game. So yeah, he's okay. a little more okay. hurt than McCaffrey. I would say Debo is hurt. Um, Brock Purdy didn't look so great. We'd all agree there. Yeah, a lot of checkdowns, a lot of just. Classic Brock Purdy hater type thing. He didn't look that great, right? He didn't look that great. Yeah. This is all I'm saying, right? And this is the part that the Lions are going to have to figure out because the Lions pass rush is not great. So what they got to figure out is how to bring a little heat on Brock Purdy because if the heat comes, good things will happen on the other side, right? I feel very confident in saying that. What Brock Purdy seems to be, and I've seen some guys talk about this online, and it is very interesting. It is the, the Kyle Shanahan guys, the Sean McVay guys are very similar, where these guys have a system where they're basically operating. It's not terribly different than the idea of the Bill Walsh system, though, which is uh, Steve Spurrier, another guy. If you just do what I tell you to do, you'll be just fine. And as long as you can get by just doing what that man in your helmet told you to do before you got up to the line, you'll be able to make this happen. But that ain't really how this works, now is it? And that's not really how it worked in that game against Green Bay. And we saw, look, Green Bay should have won that game, right? They had that chance and they blew it early. Now, never mind Jordan Love deciding to do a Brett Favre tribute at the end of the game. I don't know what the hell that was, right? Like you just, you just, I mean, you got to remember when Brett Favre did that that exact throw, by the way, that that exact throw when he did that, he didn't even play for the Packers. He was playing for the Vikings. But anyway. If they, those first two drives, they had it there to put it away and the 49ers would not have been able to come back because they could barely come back from this little lead that they, they had to come back from in this one. They not, they not built for coming back. They had the chance and they did not do it. The 49ers defense, that secondary, it does not look great. They're not guaranteed to get heat on you on the other side. Now, the Lions are going to be banged up on their interior line because a couple of their chubby guys 
got hurt in the last game, right? You know, like in the like the in the middle chubby guys, they got hurt. Like you got to figure that out. But I don't get paid for predictions. I, I ain't out here. Sean tell you what to gamble on. I just say what make me feel good. And I'm saying on behalf of myself, Vinny Goodwill, and the rest of Detroit, go Lions. I asked Vinny if there was a fight song, and he sent me a link. I'm going to learn that shit. I'm trying to be down, right? Like, I apologize. In fact, I would apologize to you for not knowing the fight song, but I showed up on day one, and they should have gave me a pamphlet that had all the words. But they ain't do that now, did they? No, they ain't do that, all right? So I'm here, dog. I'm here. And I also want to send a shout-out to the Ford family. Uh, I had gotten it wrong. I was talking about Miss Martha owning the team, but she don't run it now. Miss Sheila run the team. And Miss Sheila marries some dude whose last name is Hamp. So her name is Sheila Ford Hamp. And what happens very often with these situations, like the Bears, the Hallises, I feel like they handed it off to a husband to run things. Like the husband of, like the, the daughter had charge, but they let a husband run things. The Fords ain't letting them interlopers come in here and make it happen like that. Nah, 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 they ain't do that. Miss Sheila still gonna run this. I don't know what the hell her husband do, but she, Miss Sheila the one clapping hard as hell in that booth. She looked happy. She looked like, they say she out here fixing stuff. My man, Dan Branch, Ricky Campbell, making things happen. Aaron Glenn, H-Time, I see you, big dog. Like, I'm, I'm all on board with this. Now, I did this thing about Houston where I said if you had to name seven Houston Texans, it'd have been a very difficult thing. You want me to name seven Detroit Lions? Come back next week. I promise I'll have them all. Prize Picks is the most fun you can have by winning up to 25 times your money this football season. And now you can play during basketball season two. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. And with the NBA back, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. And if you stick around for the end of the show, you'll get to hear some picks from our producer, Sean, that can either help you win or make you fail miserably. So make sure you go to prizepicks.com slash Bomani and use code Bomani for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash Bomani. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's a new year, which means it's time for everyone's New Year's resolutions. We tend to get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right. This year, let's stop the new year, new you talk and focus on things we want to keep the same in 2024. Whether you found a consistent workout routine, a healthier diet plan, or decided to read more, let's continue the things we did well last year into the new year. Therapy helps you find your strengths so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bomani today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bomani. 
Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. Hey, I got people asking me if this would be the blackest Super Bowl ever. Eli asked that question. Uh, if we had Baltimore and Detroit in the Super Bowl. And I got to think about that a little bit more. But, I mean, it definitely sounds like a contender. That's that's pretty high on the list, folks. That's pretty high on the list. But Sean, where are we starting on D if you haven't heard? All right, we got an article about the death of the pizza delivery driver. Hi, I'm Michael Graff, and I'm the Southern Bureau Chief for Axios and an author and freelance writer for several other publications. Before all that, though, back in the 1990s, I was a pizza delivery driver. This week I wrote about that experience and how it compares with today's DoorDash world for the Atlantic. Pizza-only delivery drivers are a dying breed. Pizza Hut franchises in California recently said they're going to lay off more than a thousand delivery drivers. Something like two-thirds of all restaurant delivery in the U.S. happens on DoorDash alone. But back in the 1990s when I was coming up, pizza delivery was central to American culture. Trends were an assessment of the country's moods and interests. Domino's reported a surge in sales, for instance, during O.J. Simpson's infamous low-speed chase in 94. Delivery drivers were key supporting characters in Home Alone, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, E.T. In my rural community of Southern Maryland, we pizza delivery drivers felt like royalty with that jewel with a domino sign on our crowns. I got out of at least one speeding ticket because of that sign. We didn't have GPS, just a paper map in the shop. Elderly people would leave post-it notes on the door to come inside and drop it off on the table. Less trusting folks would meet you at the end of their driveways. Now I live in Charlotte with my wife and two young boys. Our porch is a checkout counter for everything. Pampers, dish soap, Indian food, chicken sandwiches, you name it. I feel bad each time we participate. Food delivery is kind of depressing now. Customers overpay for the convenience because of steep fees, which doesn't exactly compel them to be more generous with tips, which are basically the driver's only form of income. Restaurants pay 15 to 30% of every delivery to a faceless tech company. Delivery apps are warping the look and the feel of the restaurant industry, and I think in some ways they're warping our brains. One morning in our house, when we were out of coffee, two large cups of dark roast just appeared on my doorstep, and my wife looked at me, and because she knows me, she turned her head and said, don't worry about it. I don't know, I thought. Maybe we should worry about the pizza delivery driver, about all we're losing with all this technology and convenience, just a little more than we do. I just got one question for him about his time as a pizza delivery driver. And somehow he left this out. What kind of gun did you have? Because if you was out here, if you was out here slanging them pies, and you ain't had no peace, partner. You was you was in trouble. 
T-W-U-B-B-L-E, Twubble. Um, cause who boy, that was the thing, man. Like back in the day, that delivery driving, when everybody was paying with cash, that delivery sign was letting everybody know that you was open for business and the business was robbery. Yeah. Tough, tough gig. It depends on where you are. I know, I know my friends at, uh, in college in upstate New York loved being a delivery driver because they were like, you know, free food. If, if you know, good delivery, good tips. Um, but yeah, it's, they it's a different weed? world. They sure did. They, did sell weed? they sure did. Okay. That's that's level number two. Like it's a very helpful thing if you sell weed to be in like the mobile sort of business. I also imagine it'd be a pretty good way to meet girls. Like I can see a lot of it. I feel like I feel like there's more there was more honor in that than there is now in being the DoorDash person for whatever reason. Cause anybody could be a DoorDash person, but you had to decide yourself that you was willing to die for them tips back in the day. You know what I'm saying? Like so, anyway, I'm just curious what kind of tool my man was packing. Southern Maryland, too? Yeah, baby, you need to watch out, man. Watch back. Watch back. All right, what we got next? All right, our next article is about the internet being rooted, ruined by junk. My name is Caroline Mims-Nice, and I'm a technology writer at The Atlantic. I recently wrote about why everything is so long right now. Recipes require you to scroll past all this extra writing. Some of the top podcasts run three hours or more. On X, you can now pay to post up to 25,000 characters. Even TikTok, which is known for its short videos, is experimenting with clips up to 15 minutes long. The internet feels bloated. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes a good story merits its length. Other times... Not so much. One explanation for this phenomenon is that longer content is just easier to monetize. A creator can slip in ads without disrupting the user experience. Another is that people are making extra long content because they think that that's what the algorithm wants. I find this one particularly interesting. Algorithms are, in a basic sense, supposed to help humans sort through junk but they end up creating junk and shaping our culture when we project things onto them. Any storyteller worth their salt will tell you that a good story should go on for only exactly as long as it needs to. All right, so we have an overall information overload that I've been reading about recently. I recommend people check out these two Neil Postman books, and Music Ourselves to Death and Technopoly, which get into this and foresaw what was coming a very, very long time ago. We had a chance to save ourselves, but we're fucking morons. Anyway, what I find so funny about hearing how like these the content is getting longer and people are paying to make their tweets even longer, it reminds me of that time when Clubhouse was hot during the pandemic. And during the time when Clubhouse was hot, it was about a week and a half, maybe two. And during that time, some people had put together a live reading of The Lion King, like the musical version on Broadway. And, you know, different people doing different parts and everything else. And folks who listen to it, I listen to it a little bit, but people who really listen to it talked about how riveting it was. And I was like, congratulations. You guys have used all this technology to take us back to the 1930s. You're listening to the radio right now. Like, that's exactly what you're doing. This thing ain't going to be recorded. It's a one-time only sort of thing. You are back to listening to the radio. You use all this device stuff to go back to listening to the radio. And when I hear people talk about doing a 25,000 character post on Twitter, oh, so you mean like a blog post. Sean, isn't that what those are called? Are those called blog posts? 
Like yeah, articles? Uh, everything's going everything's going around in a circle. <sighs> Morons. What else we got? All right, Bo, we got a story on what's wrong at Boeing. Hi, I'm James Sirwicki. I'm a contributing writer at The Atlantic, and I recently wrote a piece about what's gone wrong at Boeing. So about two weeks ago, a panel called a door plug blew off a Boeing 737 MAX 9 plane while the plane was in the air. And while the incident was startling, the really interesting thing about it was in a way how unsurprising it was. Because over the last decade or so, Boeing has had a long series of quality problems. And so that obviously raises the question, what has gone wrong at Boeing? I mean, Boeing, after all, used to be among the most respected American companies. It you know, helped put NASA, put a man on the moon. It built the 747, which is the most famous and arguably the most respected passenger plane of all time. And it used to have an incredible reputation for safety and excellence. But the reality is that that reputation has been demolished over the last 20 years. And the reason, I think, is pretty simple. Uh, in 1997, Boeing bought another aircraft manufacturer, McDonnell Douglas. And what happened was that, in effect, McDonnell Douglas took over Boeing. And McDonnell Douglas, in doing so, radically changed the corporate culture at Boeing. So Boeing had long had a really engineering-centric culture. The people who kind of made the decisions and the people who had the loudest voices inside the organization were engineers. And the things they cared most about were perfectionism, safety, quality, all of those things. But when McDonnell Douglas essentially took over Boeing, what happened was that in effect, the kind of accountants took over, the financial engineers took over from the aircraft engineers. And the result was that they radically changed Boeing's culture. They made it much more bottom line focused and much less focused on sort of engineering and safety and quality. But building large airplanes is an incredibly difficult process. It involves you know, millions of parts. Nowadays, it involves hundreds of suppliers who in turn, turn have hundreds of subcontractors they're dealing with. So you need this kind of maniacal attention to detail and a real obsession with reliability and safety. And that basically is what Boeing has lost over the last 20 years. And what we're seeing in the case of Boeing is what happens when a corporate culture that is really driven about product gets replaced by a corporate culture that's really driven only by profit. First of all, shout out to my buddy, Jim Sirwicki. I like it when I pull these articles randomly and it turns out to be one of my people that's on them. Two, this is my thought on this. You know how everything's getting to be owned by one company, right? So like, who's there to like make Boeing step it up, right? Like, like where, where's the competition to be like, well, we'll actually make these planes a little easier. It's not that simple now, is it, right? Like, who is there to make sure the quality steps up? And as you allow it to where everything is going to be made by one company or you have this narrowing of the markets like you have and turning everything somewhere between an oligopoly to a monopoly, man, as that goes, all our stuff is going to get a lot whacker. And, you know, it's kind of one thing when they cutting corners on like your little breakfast cereal and you get a couple fewer flakes than you used to have and everything else. We're talking about airplanes, dog. Airplanes. We really can't afford for airplanes to fall off, guys. We just can't. Like, yeah, the engineers absolutely need to be in charge of the way the airplane company works. But they're not. All 
All right, Bo, it was a great prompt this week. A lot of great submissions on a time you had a run-in with a pro athlete growing up. Here is the first one that I think you'd really appreciate. What's up, Bo? It's Ty, calling from Carolina. First time, long time. But, uh, yeah, I think I had a story for you that kind of resonated a little bit with your Carolina ties. So me growing up here, uh, playing football, early 2000s, uh, I went to North Lenore, you know, over in the, the country part of Kingston. Over opposite side of town from, uh, Reggie Bullock and, uh, Brandon Ingram. We were their rivals. Much smaller school, but cross town rivals nonetheless. So it was my senior year playing football. We were matched up against the Panthers from Tarboro and nobody else other than, uh, Mr. North Carolina himself, Sean Drawn at running back. So me being a cocky, confident high schooler I was, ain't nobody worried about Sean Drawn. He can come out here to Wheat Swamp where we play and get demolished like the rest of them. Long story short, had that happen, I wouldn't be making this voicemail call. So Friday night gets here. I'm outside linebacker. Sean Drawn catches the toss, runs to the left sideline, his team sideline. I'm running out there pursuing the play like I'm supposed to. He hit me with the nastiest little in-and-out juke move, sent me falling out of bounds, at which point I'm positive that him and the rest of his teammates took time to point at me on the ground while he was en route to a little 50-yard touchdown. So, yeah, 15 years later, my friends still don't let me live that one down. But, yeah, that's my story about a time where I got matched up against a soon-to-be pro, Mr. Sean John himself. Appreciate you both. Keep doing what you're doing, big dog. I love you, man. Yo, appreciate it. Number one, I didn't know Kinston had parts. Number two, when you said Tarboro, I was afraid that it was Ty Gurley who did it to you. I think you were lucky it was just Shaw Drawn. And damn, Shaw Drawn was pointing a finger at you, and the whole squad was just pointing a finger at you. That do sound demoralizing. You know, a lifetime of, of memories right there, though, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, I guess that is certainly one way to look at it. The problem is, I know who Shaw Drawn is. It's a little tough to tell this story. You got to explain to people, all right, so he played in North Carolina, and then he had a cup of coffee in the NFL. Right? Like, oh, damn, damn. Like, at least you can get it done, get done to you by all pro. But uh, who we got next? All right, we got a NBA player that uh, a person had to run in with. Hey, this is uh, Joshua from Chicago. Uh, so I play high school basketball. Um, I was in the same conference um, as uh, Derrick Rose. Um, that that story is a little bit, you know, uh, low hanging fruit, so I won't tell that one. But we played uh, Iman Shumper, and so he went to this uh, school called uh, Oak Park. So he's playing in this uh, tournament or whatever. We had back-to-back games. Um, our second of the back-to-back was uh, against Oak Park. And, you know, obviously everybody know that, you know, Iman seemed like somebody that's probably going to be, uh, you know, going to the NBA one day. So, we get, you know, we in the game, probably tired, you know, from it being a back-to-back or whatever. So uh, at the half, we have like three. I'm like, oh, okay, he ain't, you know, he ain't all that. Kind of see good, but he seemed a little overrated. Second half start, uh, they pass him in the ball coming down. This man pulls up from half court, banks it in. When I tell you, like, the whole entire gym was just quiet. It wasn't even like, no, like, dang. It was just like, wait, what? I guess, I guess, I guess he could do that. <laughs> um, and then maybe like, I don't know, a couple times down, tried to two hand windmill our center. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. Um, I, I wasn't I wasn't aware of I'm aware now. So, but yeah, that's my story. Um, love the show. Hope you guys have a good one. He tried to two hand windmill against our center. Could you give him the phone number? That's who I want to hear from. 
Yeah, I'm sure the Southern has some, like, some stories of getting yammed on in high school. Yeah, like otherwise you just got hooped up. Like that happens every day. A two-hand windmill? Woo! I tell you this about Shumpert. It was so difficult for me to tell when Shumpert was at Georgia Tech how good of a player he was because I would only see him when he would play against Carolina. And I think Carolina offered him a scholarship but didn't said he wouldn't start. And, buddy, he clearly took that personally. He would light their asses up every single time. I don't know if Georgia Tech would win, but he would get his. All right, Bo, last one on a very famous athlete. Y'all would ask this question while I have a cold, but I've been waiting on this one, so the story must be told. This is Joey from Jersey. To cut straight to the point, I grew up with Shaq, and that's not the crazy part. I'm talking 84, 85, Bill Fleck in Germany, which puts me at 9, 10 years old, tall for my age, albeit narrow, you know, the struggle bow. Uh, my brother is two years older than me, a little bit taller than average, more muscular, and quite obviously, I never measured Shaq, but my stepfather was six foot four and 240 pounds, and Shaq, while only a year or two older than my brother, wasn't much smaller. So we're kids, we're outside, we play. Sometimes it's basketball. The crazy part is my brother used to bust Shaq's ass on a regular. I remember one particular day, it's just the three of us playing 21. I get knocked out early, skunk rule, and I'm standing there watching my brother and him go at it. And it occurred to me, even back then, I better get good at soccer, rugby, track, volleyball, or something, because I was never going to be that dude on the basketball court. To this day, I'm six foot five, always been athletic, and have never taken basketball serious because Shaquille O'Neal and my brother Charles ruined my hoop dreams at a young age. Thanks, guys. Also, neither one of y'all could see me on the mic, but. That's it. Bye. What the fuck was that? Neither one of y'all can see me on the mic. Buddy, I'm rich. What are you talking about? Like, what, what, is, what is this? Like, this whole thing, your story wasn't even a story about the actual story. You, you, you expect me to believe that your brother be, your brother be giving it. What's your brother's name? That's what I need. Because I can't understand how it is that I don't know his name. And he just been out here doing it to Shaq. And, and what's your name, Mr. I can't see you on the mic? What do they call you? Got a lot of questions for a lot of people. In all fairness, I think he meant that Shaq and his brother couldn't see him on the mic versus you, but uh, yeah, still oh. a weird way to end the end the call. I mean, in that case, okay, talk your shit. But uh, I'm still, there's still a lot going, like, like I got a lot more questions. Some things ain't for me to understand. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. But before we go, Sean, the people need prize picks. They sure do. I'm taking Victor Wembanyama, 21 and a half points. I'll go more there. Joel Embiid, 53 and a half points, rebounds and assists. I'll go more. And Scotty Barnes, two and a half blocks and steals. I'll take more there for my prize picks of the week. All right. And there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time, a wave sports and entertainment original presented by Prize Picks. That's Sean Yu. He handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Also, thank you to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Thanks to Michael Graff of The Atlantic. Check out his story on why you'll miss the pizza delivery driver. Thanks to Jim Sirwicky of The Atlantic. Also, check out his story on what's gone wrong at Boeing. And thanks to Caroline Nice. Check out her story uh, of The Atlantic, by the way. Check out her story about the internet being ruined by bloated junk. Uh, remember, follow the right time. Subscribe, like, rate us, review us. Give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. We'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy.